You're listening to the Water in Real Life podcast, the podcast for people who want to become better leaders by becoming better communicators. Why? Because those who tell the stories rule the world. We're your hosts, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today. This is a, a special edition one for me because I got to be I got to be a part of the program that we're about to talk. Uh, I'm really excited. We've got three guests on this episode today. So I'm here with Jesse Marr, who is the Director of Technology at the Environmental Policy Innovation Center, Sandra Kutzing, who's Vice President at CDM Smith, and Kareem Adim, who is the Director of the City of Newark Department of Water and Sewer Utilities in New Jersey. So thank you all so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And the reason that we're here today is to talk about uh, Epic's contest that they do. And this and this one was related to lead and remove and lead removal and all things lead. And Jesse is gonna explain, Jesse's gonna get into that with us and tell us more details about that first. But you know, I had to start this podcast with the fan fave question that we ask all of our guests. And I'm so excited to hear. Y'all come from three different backgrounds here and three different types of organizations. And so I'm really excited to hear the around Robin response to this question here. But did you choose water or did water choose you? And I'm going to start with Jesse. Okay, happy to. Um, so I think 1000% water chose me. Uh, first, I grew up in Texas where it is hot. The only way to survive is being underwater. Yes. And as I went through um, school, I had a lot of different paths all related to water. But I think the best advice when I started in this field was from my dad, who was a commercial plumber. And he would always say, you don't need to know anything. No fancy degree. Water flows downhill. And so I feel like that was ingrained in me forever and nice. <laughs> stayed in water since. Very cool. All right. And now I'm going to go to uh, Sandra. Uh, I chose water. (laughs) I actually took a book out of types of engineers from the library when I was in high school because I knew I wanted to be an engineer, but I had no idea what kind. So I chose environmental, majored in it, and then just really took a liking to hydraulics and water treatment. See, hear all that? Y'all worried about workforce, thinking people don't want to work in water? Some of them do, yeah. And then Kareem, here you are, Director of Utilities. Did you choose water or did water choose you? I chose water. Okay. Um, it, was a, it was a very interesting path. I, I used to see all these water vehicles riding around in the city. And, with, and you know, during times of main breaks, I'll see how they're out there, you know, turning off water or flushing fire hydrants. And it was interesting to me. So I chose water. So did you... Um, where did you start out in water? I started out in water, you know, um, as a labor, uh, filling potholes, using the jackhammer, um, excavating with a, with a shovel, doing the dirty work. Going yeah. Down, going down into the sewer catch basins. I was an employee that I did the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Um, at that time, I was a seasonal employee coming on working for the season. Um, and you get laid off after the season, no benefits. Uh, I wanted to get some permanency and the way to get permanency, I started doing the jobs that people didn't want to do. And mm-hmm. I found that they were very interesting, right? You learn a lot from that. Absolutely. Uh, and 
maybe you don't know my background, but before I co-founded Broke Water, I worked for municipal water utilities doing communication and education. And one of my favorite directors that I worked for, he started as in the field crews, digging holes and fixing pipes. And uh, not that I didn't respect any of my other bosses, but uh, he just, he approached things differently. And I, I respect, I he's still doing that. So I respect him so much. And so I love, love, love that that is also a part of your story too. Awesome. Thank you. Different, uh, it's a different vision. You know, we, it's a different vision when you start, when you're in the trenches, right? You get to see things on how to make the job more easier, more efficient. It's not about the dollar, just about making the work more efficient and more effective for the worker that's out there in the trenches. Yep. And, and you're an incredible role model for all those people out there that are doing that work right now. I was just talking to a buddy of mine who is has like some imposter syndrome around the fact that he doesn't have the traditional route up to through the ranks of water because he's not an engineer. And I'm like, I your story to me is more interesting than, I mean, no offense again, engineers, but but like I he was also an operator. And I just think more of y'all need to tell your stories so that you can be you you can be what other people can see out there and they can see themselves. So that's that's amazing. I feel like I should have said my story different because like my first, my dad is a commercial plumber. So my first memories are like being on the backhoe with him and it probably wasn't legal, Um, but we can go there another time. No, we can. Yeah. Let's go there now. I love it. No, it's, it's good that it, uh, you see things from a different perspective when, when things work out that way. So and I will just say that I do have questions, but and we will get to the what we were meant to talk to today. But I also the tangents are the gold. That's where I love where people just we go on tangents and we learn about one another. So y'all don't feel afraid to go that to go down those journeys with me. <laughs> um, I just, just want to say, like, we make the engineers, you know, jobs a little better. Right. The people on the ground, we provide information to them. Right. So they can, you know, gather that information, the data that we provide to them and make us make better decisions in the future. You know, oh, they yeah. learn from some of our lived experience, those people that's in the trenches. We're actually testing what the engineers and architects and scientists actually put out there to, to be designed or implemented. We, we actually test the norms. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I did go to grad school for, in, for water resource engineering and environmental engineering, but I spent the summer working in construction, overseeing one of the sites. And my first job was like, I had to make sure that everything was level, that we paved over whenever we were doing the work. And I was like, you just see a different perspective when you're in construction. Yeah. I'm and 100%. I had, I, got, I had a chance to work with some fantastic engineers when I started my career inside the water department. Right. But also over the, the last five years, I got a chance to work with some phenomenal engineers like, you know, me and Sandy uh, burning the midnight oil. Right. <laughs> they get a project done. You know, uh, people don't realize like not, not only are the utility workers out all hours of the night, you know, responding to emergency. When we're doing designs or we're doing it like the city of North going through our lead uh, replacement program. With some late nights doing work, you know, phones, chats, or emailing and getting things done. So I got to work with a phenomenal team at CDM Smith, led by Sandy. And, um, you know, we were able to do some things that we really test ourselves. I guess we say, Sandy, we pushed ourselves to the limit. Um, it was unconventional. It was very unconventional. And I'm proud of that, right? Because to be with a team that can think outside the box and, and willing to take chances. 
So I'm yeah. just by hearing y'all talk, I'm I'm realizing now why this was such a special project and why this has had the uh, the effects that it has. Um, so sorry, Sandra, I didn't mean. You want me to call you Sandy or Sandra? Like Sandy, Sandy. Okay. <laughs> um, Kareem has no no worries about rolling up his sleeves and uh, getting dirty still. And um, you know he really he pushes his team to think outside the box and be creative. And he's no fear to do that. No fear of failure. Um, you know, let's try something different. Let's try something unique. I remember a couple of Januarys ago, the coldest day of the year when we were trying to figure out some water quality data and we were thinking, well, maybe we, we just need another sample in this location. And Kareem's like, all right, I'll go out there right now. This is eight o'clock at night. on like the coldest January. <laughs> Kareem, I'm sure you can wait till tomorrow and get someone to do that for you. But nope, the director's out there taking a sample from a hydrant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sandy says that, right? I mean, I mean, it was seven degrees, wind chill factor about a below five. Um, it was someone with seat from CDM with me too. Um, they're like, you're going out there now? I'll be there in 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, 10 minutes. I'm waiting on it. I'm called the lab. Hey, I'm like, I got the lab tech. He's on his way down. We're going right now. We went out. We were out to 11 o'clock that night taking samples. And everybody like, are y'all serious? No, we're out at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Well, I know I got everybody on the edge of their seats now because they're like, what project are you talking about? So I'm going to let Jesse kick us off by giving a quick overview of the competition uh, itself. Uh, last year, the topic was consumer confidence report. This year, the focus was on lead. So Jesse, like set the stage for us. Let, let people know what we're, ta- what we're going to be getting into. Happily. So this is the second year that we have done the Water Data Prize. And the main theme of these prizes is what do we need to know to make it really easy if water is safe to drink or not? And unfortunately, that's not always an easy question to answer. And this year we focused on lead, um, mainly because we saw that the the current rate of replacement, it's going to take about 100 years to replace toxic lead pipes. And the main question is, are we really going to let it take 100 years to replace lead pipes in every day that someone is drinking toxic water that's lower IQ and more health burden? So um, mainly we saw, you know, there are a billion bright ideas from communications to technology to community advocacy. And how do we bring those ideas together and start making progress in removing red uh, and removing lead pipes? And so there were four main categories of this year's prize. And it's basically one of the four things that a utility needs to have in their toolbox to replace lead pipes. Cause it's not just the construction. There's much that goes ahead of the construction process. So one was inventory. How do we even know where the lead pipes are? Um, the second is, okay, so maybe we have that information, but how are we going to map and display that in an easy, understandable way for both the residents to know is their burden or do I face lead risk, but also to help plan and prioritize for utilities to do that replacement work. The uh, the third category is the equity. So what do we need to have for the equitable lead pipe replacement programs and not just make sure that only the wealthy communities are getting prioritized in that process? And then lastly, this communications podcast, there's a lot of communications that goes in across the board. So from how we're displaying that information in the map to what goes in the mail to what goes into the consumer confidence reports and all the communications in between, and so it's kind of, again, those four main categories to help a utility understand how they can remove and replace lead pipes. Awesome. And I was honored to be a, a judge for this competition. And so I got to see the end product of the program itself and the write-up that was done about that. But I wanted to take a step back because my background in 
doing engagement work with communities, I'm always interested in how how y'all got there. So can y'all speak to how did you get to the to the actual program that you submitted for this? Like, how did y'all work together to create this plan? Did you engage the community during the process? What did take us back just a step? And and how did you get there? I'll start with Kareem. Our focus was on getting the work done out the door. Um, our focus was getting the work done. However, I think the negative negative media attention um, allowed us to say, you know what, we need to pay attention to it. At first, you wasn't even paying attention to the media, right, uh, or, or, or the media attention. Our communication was just the standard communication. Hey, send out what the EPA and the, and the State Department of Environmental Protection tell you to do. I think as, as we started to roll out the program and really understanding the direction we wanted to go, we started, like Sandy said, let's think outside the box. What can we do? that make sure the community is involved. Hey, early on, we need to make sure we're involved in our community organizations, nationally and locally. Any, any national community organization that may have been in the city, we want to see if they want to come on board and help us spread the, spread the word of what, we, what we're looking to do, but also make sure that those small local community organizations that are on the ground, that know the temperature and the climate of the city, make sure they were engaged, right? Also, because they, they know what to do. They've doing it already. They're holding community meetings. A big part was partnering with them to make sure people attend the community meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, putting out door knockers or, or, or message boards. We, we continue to evolve. Um, I remember we, we started getting billboards. As Sandy could talk to them. We started putting billboards up. We started doing a quarterly newsletter. Anything we thought to keep people engaged and what the process was. But the biggest thing was, you know, hey, we got this new website. How are we going to drive traffic to the website? And um, I think it was just recently we were at a, the AWWA and we found out that the traffic on the website was, was a little over 350 million mm. hits on the website. Wow. Can you imagine hitting 350, wow. not million, 350,000 um, hits on the okay. website. Can you imagine getting 350,000 calls in your call center? <laughs> You just gave a bunch of customer service reps heart attacks, but <laughs> so getting there was a process that we we weren't afraid to pivot when we thought we needed to pivot. And yeah. I think the the biggest thing that we need to do for utilities in the future, you have to be ready to pivot, and somebody has to make the decision. Right, you, you got to be one person making that decision. Let's go. We could talk about it, but right out of the conversation, once it ends, we go in this direction, and you got to go. Don't be afraid to fail, right? I don't I don't look at it as a failure anyway. I just look at it as a lesson you just learned why yeah. you shouldn't do something or what or what you need to improve on. So that's why I have no fear on failure because I'm gonna learn a lesson that's gonna that's be valuable. Funny. It's important, you gotta fail first, fail fast, so you can learn that lesson and pivot and move on. Uh anything else to add, Sandy, about that first step of really like at the very beginning of the project? Yeah, I would say um, you know. It would have been nice to have time to plan, but because there was a bit of a, a, a crisis going on with yeah. the national media attention, high lead levels, it was, I mean, it was pretty incredible. Um, there was at the beginning, just some confusion of what was going on. And then as soon as Newark got the information, I remember it was a Tuesday, uh, as soon as we figured out what was happening um, we got the results, we figured out what was happening. We let Newark know, and then we called the state 
And by Friday, they were handing out point of use filters to residents. Mm. Like it took three days. I mean, they moved in the, we didn't have at that point, obviously we didn't have a plan in place to get filters to everybody. We didn't have the plan in place yet to remove all its service lines, but we just moved forward and then planned as we went. And as Kareem said, um, you know, we had a team of a lot of people with no egos. And if something didn't work, we changed direction and did something else or added on top of it because we saw that this was working. Um, so, you know, handing out filters to residents and then moving at record speed on advancing the design and construction of their corrosion control treatment. And then really kicking off the most aggressive lead service line replacement program in the country. So that all kind of came out of, of that desire to just move and improve and just continuous improvement was really the attitude on the team. So it sounded like y'all were in the midst of this kind of catalyst moment of something where you were like, we have to respond and react to this. Um, I know you mentioned media. Can y'all paint a little, can you shine a little light on what was, what was the situation? What was actually happening in Newark when this program kicked off? Sure. There was, um, there were some high lead levels. They had exceeded the 90th percentile for lead. Um, and what the result was the, um, corrosion control mechanism that they, they had been using for years wasn't actually, when you actually looked at the pipes and analyzed the pipes, it wasn't what was actually protecting. Um, it wasn't forming that protective layer. It was something else. And it's tetravalent lead. And it's a lot of cities and utilities don't realize they have tetravalent lead until you actually cut open a pipe and, mm. and do some analysis on it. And so there were some other water quality changes that were made to address uh, disinfection byproduct issues, lowering the pH. And this, um, this mechanism doesn't work well in lower pH. And so the scales start to break down into, okay. the, into the drinking water. Got it. So... Korean and so it was, you know, New York, there was a lot of the next Flint, the a lead crisis. So what, you know, New York did, they, they were not going to accept that. And so they were determined to take immediate and fast action. Yeah. I was going to say, Kareem, what was that Tuesday like for you? <laughs> uh, that, that, that Tuesday, uh, that Tuesday, very shocking, very stressful, but, but mm. you know, pressure, a lot of pressure, pressure bus pipes. I work in the water department. We fix them every day, you know? You get the pressure, you find out what's going on, and you start implementing the plan, and you pivot along the way. The greatest thing, Sam, I just got to tell this quick story. Um, you know, we're sitting here. I say, hey, we got to give out filters. It's a Friday night, right? We, we, the filters are in. The trucks done loaded all the filters. So it's me and two, two CDM employees who were in the office, and we're going to launch this. We just trained about 50 of our water and our recreation staff to open these distribution centers on this. I think it was a survey, one, two, three, some type of a dashboard to track who pick up filters, how you give them out, right? How you give the filters out, how many you gave them, how you get a replacement cartridges out. We're going to have this all five two, five distribution centers, including the health department. And we're going to have about 20 teams of city employees from the water department and a couple of volunteers for some of the community organizations go door to door and give out filters. We got the touch pads, we got the laptops, it's everything. You know, we got the hard wire in the, in the recreation center. And so the, the CDM employee, I think it was Tom Shadow and Dave Smith at that time. They're like, okay, Kareem, everything's ready to go. It's 9.30. I said, what, what are we going to do? What's the plan? Yeah, we got one hard copy. He holds it up. It's about 1,800 pages, all the addresses in the city. 
And he says, all the other stuff is on digital, the Wi-Fi set, everybody can train. Good luck, we'll see you in the morning. I said, we can't leave. If you only got one copy, what do we do if, if it crashes, the system crashes? What do we do if something happens? Technology, right? Yeah. Wait, thinking too much. Ain't nothing gonna happen. Now, nah, make about 15 copies. You serious? Yeah, let's go to all the print. print. And look, we, we're not at the, actually the print shop is closed at this time. So we gotta use the regular copiers. <laughs> <laughs> We're making these copies. So when we finish, it's about one in the morning. We come back out about seven. We start giving out filters about 8.30. And what happens? Technology. The Wi-Fi crashes. Mm. It is, we have about three or 400 people at the filter distribution site. I'm getting phone calls. Hey, the, the, the system don't work. And I'm like, hey, Tom, you got the copies? Yeah, we're using the copies. So it's just, just that insight, the continued planning, right, for what, you think won't happen and mm-hmm. being able to pivot when it do happen. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a story that they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Everybody said, hey, Kareem had them printing copies last night to, to one in the morning. Hey, Kareem had them doing this. And I was like, no, as a team, we wanted to be prepared for the unimaginable. And it actually happened. So it's just, you know, pivoting and the national media being out there, they'll, they'll jump all on it. The city system crashed. They couldn't get people filters. Yeah. We, we had to add a backup plan. Because Kareem's been out. This wasn't your first radio. You've been out there in the field at 1 a.m. when everything is just going wrong. You know. <laughs> I was always taught, treat it like a crisis, right? So, you know, you yep. got the 1, a, the 1 a.m. water main break and it's 500 people out of water. My goal is to restore the water as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 not look at the obstacles while we can't restore the water. How can we restore it? We'll deal with the obstacles later. Restore yeah. the water. Well, you touched on what can be picked up and how that message can be communicated to to the public and communicating about lead is a daunting task for any utility. And one thing that I really loved about reading y'all's submission was that this program really demanded transparency. However, if there isn't that trust initially, it can fall on deaf ears if we're not careful. So what did y'all do? And and I and I kind of heard some of it where you were out there building those partnerships and collaborations and building those relationships. Is there anything else you feel like really helped in establishing that trust with the community to even begin this conversation? And, and how do you, how did that evolve into your ongoing communication and transparency efforts once you got started? Building the trust, building that trust was one, you know, having the elected officials right on board Mm -hmm. and understanding what the problem is, right. And the political will to correct the problem. So having the mayor out there at the community meeting and, and having the mayor that was deeply involved, not just sitting back on the side, that was deeply involved, having our uh, health department director at those meetings, right? Having the community clergy, clergy that the clergy that people listen to yes. in the community having involved, right? Having our school school uh, superintendents or school principals involved, right, and spreading the message, right? Having all having our state. You know, DEP, right, to send representatives to community meetings. Having our consultants, right, CDM Smith, and our contractors at the community meetings, right, and actually doing a plan plan where we're going to report stuff in real time. I think, you know, Sandy, you know, you can echo me, you know, echo this. I hope you would. The (laughs) website allowed residents to go on there and see progress. Mm. Right from hey, I can go on the website, type my address in. Hey, I have a lead service line. It's scheduled to be replaced by June of 2020. Right, here's the contractor. Oh, I need to submit a slip. 
I think, oh, I, I'm eligible for bottled water. I'm eligible to get a filter. You know, having that type of transparency, right? Where, mo- where you can have, pick it up on a mobile device. You can call, you can, you know, just being in the city, we had community meetings nighttime. We had them at night. We had them on weekends, Saturday, Sunday. We had, we had them in the morning. So just being accessible. And they, not that we didn't know what we were talking about. We had experts. We had national experts on the team, right? They let us know, right? The local experts and the national experts working together on the same page to push the message out and make sure we heard residents. Yeah. And we were hearing them. Mm-hmm. Right? Echo away, Sandy. And we showed up. Yeah, for this type of program, I mean, this is absolutely critical. It's compl- it's very invasive. Of Newark re- replaced twenty three thousand lead serve signs, over twenty three thousand lead serve signs. That's twenty three thousand individual yards that they were in, homes that they were in, without the community support and the support of the public officials. I mean, there's absolutely no way you can do that if the community is not on board. I mean, they, it's a, such a great, um, it's a large city, but it has a personality of a small, tight-knit neighborhood. Um, One of the things Newark did, which is absolutely critical for a community that has a high renting population, they made it possible for tenants to sign off instead of waiting for a landlord um, so it was free and then the tenants can sign off and really any, anyone could sign off. So, so tenants would leave their, you know, keys with their neighbor who would let them in if they had to go to work. And it really, it was just, you know, everyone made sure that everyone else on their block knew that uh, the, the city was coming, the contractors were coming next week and be ready, make sure you have a plan to let them in your house. It, it was just, uh, it was incredible and it really took the entire city support to make it happen. Yeah. And I think I heard you say at the end of your statement, Kareem, that y'all showed up. And I think that that is key. And that is so important because if your utility or your plan is just a building or something that people drive by on the side of the street every now and then, and you're not out there in, in the community showing up, then why would they trust you? And I think what, what you're showing is you didn't just show up, you showed up in force. You showed that you weren't, that you were collaborating, that you were bringing other community voices and, and stakeholders into the conversation. And I think that's, that's so important because that's, you're talking about my kind of, of engagement and communication. Like communication to me is not just about a beautifully planned social media content calendar. Like you're not going to solve any of the challenges we have by staying behind your desk. You got to get out there and you got to be seen and you got to let people know that that you're there for them. I think that's incredible. In the, um, during the pandemic, the mayor was, how often was he on doing those? And you, Kareem, too, the Facebook live events. Like every day. (laughs) (laughs) He was giving updates every day. And then he was, um, but then even specifically about the lead service line program, several of these events. And you'd see at the, at the start of those, I mean, people were brutal. They were not nice comments as you expect on social media, but it shifted. It shifted Mm -hmm. over time. You saw Newark regaining the trust of the community. They just kept at it. They kept at it. They, they said, we're, you know, we're, we're doing this. We're committed to this and it paid off. Mm. Maximizing your tools, right? Social media. So he was maximizing, right? They'll see him for, for those. And we, and we, and we recorded the community meeting. So we were in the community and we had a meeting. We actually recorded that meeting and in the community for everyone that didn't come. And at nighttime or day, it's looped on the public access channel, right? Those same questions. But the biggest thing is 
We also promised the community, we were gonna make sure the community economically was involved in this construction on removing lead service lines. So we had the opportunity to put Newark residents that were unemployed on the job to help replace some of their own lead service lines and, and communicated that, right? So, you know, what's odd is we would be out on the job sites at seven in the morning, whether it's the mayor checking on a contractor site and residents get to say, hey, man, oh, the mayor's out there. Kareem Adin, right? And I would bring my some of my consultants, CDMA. We're going to meet on this site in the morning. Who's going to be over there? Okay. We would actually be our presence, right? People actually seen us getting it done. One thing about public works projects, right? We always feel like they have to be drawn out over this 20 or 30-year period. <laughs> Efficiencies and efficiency and effectiveness. We just showed that with the lead service line program. I mean, listen, no, no offense to the highway projects, right? But I can go down I-95 South and they working in the same area for 30 years. Yep. Expanding this highway, right? And people just say, oh, it's a nightmare, right? We we wanted to say, hey, we're the public works project that's going to actually get done. You're going to fill it, but we're not going to make you fill it all day. Mm. You're not going to fill it for 20 years. You need to be home for a minimum two to four hours so we can do this line, give us access, and then you can go. Right? Just follow the instructions that we leave you after you go, after you go. So I think efficiencies. Yeah. Kareem, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're an actor and spokesperson on the side when you're not running the utility, but maybe not. But how did you prepare yourself to really step into that role as spokesperson and be doing Facebook lives or media inquiries or uh, interviews? Like, How did you feel? What did you do to get prepared for that? You know, someone else asked me that question uh, yesterday, right? I'm a very private person. When I mean private, I just put a picture up on my LinkedIn today. Maybe an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I've, you know, working in the department, as I've elevated, I've always went to community meetings, right? I I was like the community liaison when I first came into supervision, probably in the late 90s. Um, I started attending community meetings. The manager said, hey, Kareem, come to the meeting with me. I want you to come to the meeting. I was sitting in the back and be like, man, they brutal in these meetings. They're brutal. Right? Then it was like, oh, I didn't know what she was doing at that time. She said, oh, I'm going on maternity leave. Here's the schedule for the next 12 meetings. And I'm, you need to be there. But right? I'm like, what? I need to be there. And I remember the first meeting I went to, it was like, and uh, super, superintendent, assisting superintendent, Kareem Medine from the water department is going to talk to you. And I'm shivering walking up there. I'm at the table. I don't know what to say. I'm trying to crack a joke to get everybody to laugh. And I said, you know what? I noticed, I remember something. Shit, just be truthful. Being true with the residents, being true with the crowd, you don't need any support. All the nervousness went away. I think we actually were going out there for this program. It prepared me. Those early interactions with the community of just representing the department and Sticking to my word, when we tell them something, we actually do it. Prepared this when we rolled this program out. Everybody know that the, the name says, like, they're going to fail. It won't happen. They don't know what they're doing. They're not telling the truth. But you know what? As we start moving along, they were still saying they're not telling the truth. We were getting work done. Our, produ- our, our productivity was improving. We can see it. We can measure it. We have measurable goals, right? We have measurable goals, and we had somebody else. When we think something was wrong, we can pivot. But I think just being early on, going to community meetings and understand like you got to tell the public the truth 
and you got to show up and own up, right? It was the water department's problem. We were going to own it, right? And the minute we know that we're going to own it, we, we had a four-point plan to go out and fix it, right? Public education, a new corrosion inhibitor, lead service replacement. We were ready to go and point-of-use filters. So we stuck to that plan. We may have pivoted a little bit to, to improve it, but we stuck to that plan. And yeah. having a plan, right, and not being afraid to pivot on off of that plan, like Sandy was saying earlier, when it don't work, add things, remove things, really highlighted what we were doing, right? And having it, and also having a consultant that's not afraid. I got to say this to a lot of programs, a lot of cities or municipalities that's launching lead service line replacement program. You got to have a consultant that's going to think out the box because it's not always in the proposal. All the things that you need to do when you start doing it, it's not in, in the proposal. And listen, I'm a guy that started in the trenches, right? Not in the office. The people in the office, they want to get work done, but the people in the trenches know, hey, the work is not as easy as you said it's going to be. Yeah. But, hey, go replace that water main. It's not as easy, right? It's other utilities. It's bedrock. It's shell rock. You know, it's confined space areas. So having a, a consultant to sit there and say, hey, not slow us down from doing the work, but, hey, we'll talk about that, but we need to continue moving the project forward. Yeah. Right? Not bogged down in what's not in the proposal what's not in the contract but understanding we, we we will address it but we need to keep getting the work done we yeah. don't want to be stalled because we didn't address something yeah show up own up i want to get that on a t-shirt and give it to everyone in the industry but uh that's that was my takeaway from from what you just shared there but jesse one of the things that i love about epic is that y'all share some of the insights learned from for example you did that with the um, CCR competition that y'all did and shared some of those trends and insights. What were some of the biggest takeaways or trends that you noticed uh, at the conclusion of this project and its focus on lead? Yes. I mean, first, it hasn't yet been said, but CDM Smith and the city of Newark won the overall category. And it has not been said. Yeah. <laughs> they won. Great job. Everything that they've done so far is just proof of like why they were really outstanding. And so a lot of to your point, Stephanie, we are publishing kind of a lessons learned best practices guide from not only the winners, but also all of the other submissions. You know, we had over 60 entries and they had stellar ideas. So um, it's y'all took a lot of the reasons why, you know, some of the main highlights. Um, but I think maybe just to say explicitly, one is you don't know where all the lead pipes are at the beginning. And you have to be able to say, this is known as a lead pipe, this is unknown and not just leave it blank mm -hmm. um, or not say when it's known or unknown. And I think the other thing y'all mentioned is tracking progress, right? Like showing over time those replacement rates so that MAP is being updated in real time. The second thing which y'all also mentioned is it's really important to not just show the data, but also couple that with information on courses of action. If a resident sees the map without anything, it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so just having that information not stand alone, include the messaging about what to do if you see that your home has led and, and what the community is doing as well or what the utilities are doing, I think is, is really powerful. Um, I think thirdly, and y'all said this too, is focus on the community's understanding of what's going on, not just marketing <laughs> for the utility. And as y'all noted, trust comes from a lot of different voices and making sure that you have different community members talking about what's going on and educating folks um, because sometimes they're not going to trust your utility. So if you're the one saying, Hey, we're doing a lot of work, like it doesn't matter. Um, so just having other community uh, voices and leaders in the community speaking up about what's going on. 
Um, and then the last thing that wasn't an explicit category, but undergirds a lot of this work is just the data and digital infrastructure. There is a mm. lot of data that's being collected and a lot of these smaller utilities and even large utilities, right, don't have the infrastructure to track that and show the progress on a continuous basis. You've got to get that information from the utility to the state, to the federal government and have this national picture of what's going on. So I just wanted to underscore that importance of kind of the, the digital <laughs> alongside the physical um, which came through in a lot of different, uh, entries. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I have, I have one last question that I want to ask each of you, but before I get to that, I want to tie a bow around all of the great things that we've said about this project in particular, and we'll have a link in the show notes of where you can read all the specifics of the project itself and see exactly, um, the details of what we've been, what we've been chatting about. But my last question, it's kind of a well, my second to last question is kind of dual parts. So I'm going to start with Sandy. What was your biggest takeaway from this project from your vantage point as, as an engineer, as a consultant in the space? And then what's some advice that you can give to other communities out there that are looking to, that are working on their own programs? Okay, great. Um, okay. So my biggest takeaway, you know, this is, this was very, different and unique type of project for me. I'm typically working at a treatment plan or a pump station that the community doesn't really see and you're just putting out one-way communication and, you know, with updates, um, you know, this is, this directly impacts individual families. And like I said before, 23,000 individual projects. Um, so it was, it was really, you know, it, I have a, a, I'll always forever have a special connection with this project in my heart. Um, it really feels like you're making a difference and something that um, customers of the water utility can see for themselves. So that was really special. And then for, um, I'd say for communities I and other water utilities, I'd highly recommend um, getting out and speaking with your customers now. You don't, mm know everything yet. You don't, you know, even if you're at step half, not even <laughs> at step one yet, you know what the requirement is, you know, when the deadlines are, you know, the initial steps you have to take, let your community know what you're going to be doing. You're going to be identifying where, you know, what the materials are, where some lead pipes are, and then you're going to come up with a plan for removing them. Um, let them know, start the transparency now would mm. be my recommendation. Yes. And so Kareem, same to you. Biggest takeaway from this project in particular, and then your advice to other communities. I first want to say something. You know, my biggest takeaway from this would be, you know, one, one of the biggest would be having consultants that's going to tell you the brutishly honest truth, the stuff mm. that you want to hear, right? Because you need to hear it and you don't need them to hold it. That's why me and Sandy get along a little bit, right? <laughs> Candor. <laughs> you need to know it, right? Because yes. you, you, if you're planning around something that's not the truth, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Right? So being being brutal and give you the honest truth so you can plan, right? That's that's important. My other thing is, you know, um, similar to what Sandy said, systems need to get out and start engaging the community now. Don't wait. Start having a conversation. Your program may be a year away. Start having a conversation, start getting them on board, start looking at things you may need to do, start communicating now, start building a database, right? Of, you know, we, we call it right of entry, right of access, of making sure all that information you have works. Um, the other one was show up, own it, be involved, 
When they call you, answer the phone. Go out there. Let them see you out there. Mm-hmm. Let them see the big shots in the office that's working. It, right? The 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 big the administrative staff. Let them see you out there. Not always the work that you care. That you yeah. care about what you're doing. Um, those are two. Own it. I'm mm. just gonna say own it. Man, I need to get up to New Jersey and hang out with y'all, man. This is I love this. This is plant yeah. the seed. Plant the seed. We the Garden State. We planted the seed. <laughs> No. There you go. <laughs> Look, it, it now, right? We're finished. Y'all no. out there got to reap from these ideas that uh, New Jersey's tossing your way, leading the pack over here. Yes. Nice. All right. So this is one of my favorite questions to, to ask people that I get the opportunity to speak with. And I'm going to start with, just so y'all know the order that's coming in, because everyone's like, oh man, you stole my answer. So I'm going to start with Jesse, go to Sandy, and then Kareem, I'm going to let you take us home on this. All right. So Cause something tells me, I, I feel like you're going to drop the mic on me and then I'm just going to have to end. And yeah. So, okay. In my line of work, I get told, I have been told what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person, not going to make a difference. And obviously I wholeheartedly disagree in that. I think that change can be contagious planting those seeds, just like you just said. So Jesse, first to you, what is the one call to action you have that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? I mean, I think so. The biggest thing that that we've been thinking about, and I think it's demonstrated in this work, is uh, find and fix as you go. Don't just think you're going to find all your problems and then you think about it and then you can do something because every day that you're spending just finding and thinking is one day, you know, is another day that you're still dealing with these environmental injustices. And so I think it's a matter of recognizing you're not going to know everything. You can't know everything, but you do know enough to get started and you need to just start making action. So I think demonstrated really point here in, in city of Newark is finding and replacing as you go, finding and fixing and, and just keep, keep moving. Yeah. No paralysis by analysis, y'all just start somewhere. So that half step, I like that you said that earlier, Sandy. So Sandy, what is the one call to action you have that you're most passionate about that you think believe could ultimately change the world? Okay. So, um, there's probably, there's definitely more than one, but I'll say, you know, being kind and treating everyone as family. Mm -hmm. Nice. We're all human. We are all human. And then Kareem, your biggest call to action. Big picture. Commit. You know, we live in the wealthiest country in the world. Commit to something and let's see it get done. Right now, we should, right now, today, you know, although we have an infrastructure bill that was a start, we should not be in 2022 by having a C grade on our water and wastewater infrastructure in the wealthiest country in the world. A bipartisan effort, commit, do it. Rural areas, small areas, disadvantaged, environmental injustice areas. Let's, we know the problems, commit. And let's get it done. You don't need to be a crisis to get it done. We have the opportunity to commit and get things done. From water infrastructure to homeless, let's commit and mm-hmm. get it done. Yep. You got a C that. grade. You got 2.2 million people in this country that lack access to clean water and sanitation. You have 44 million people in this country that lack access to water that is safe to drink. I mean, yeah. It's time to commit. And I love that you distill things down to when, like I'm looking behind you, he's got all these signs up that are progress, success, execute. That, like it's very like punchy. I like that. Just got to believe it. Got to believe gotta, it. Gotta put yourself in there. You got to believe it. 
But you got to believe it and repeat it. You can't repeat a whole paragraph. You got to just have that that word. Yeah. Commit. Love it. Commit. Well, from this podcast to y'all's ears to hopefully y'all's action and commitment, get out there. Don't be, don't, no paralysis by analysis. Remember to be kind because we're all human and commit, get it done. Let's get it done, y'all. Let's get it done together. Yes. So thank you so much, y'all, for taking this time. As I said, I know that uh, for those of you listening, you you may want to know more details about the project, about the competition, all of that. Uh, Jesse's going to share with me the link so y'all can read more, learn more. Uh, reach out to any of these folks, too, if you have questions beyond this about the project themselves. I'm sure I can tell just by this conversation that they're passionate about talking about it. So find him and hit him up. And you can find Kareem easier now because he's got his picture on LinkedIn. So thank you all for being here with me. Uh, this was this was such an honor, such a pleasure. Thank you. We are so grateful for each and every one of you, all the members of our listening community. The Water in Real Life podcast is a Rogue Water Lab original. It's hosted by the H2 duo. That's us, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. It's produced by Rogue Water Lab, 12 Midnight and Matt Black Sound. Sound design and music by Andre Black and Matt McNeil of Matt Black Sound. For more Water in Real Life, check out our YouTube channel and sign up for our lab notes. You can find both at roguewaterlab.org.